last week we started this new series called Lost. And we figured out, we learned that you can be lost in any area. Relationally, uh, emotionally, physically, financially. There's all kinds of areas you can be lost in. God cares about each of these areas. We also learned that Jesus doesn't want your money. Jesus wants your heart. And so there's some pretty heavy stuff there. We also learned that you cannot be lost financially. You can't stay lost financially and be a fully devoted follower of Christ. It's impossible to do that. And so some of you aren't convinced you're lost. So let me just ask some things real quickly. Um, If you don't know how much money you made last month, you're lost. If you don't know how much money you spent last month, You're lost financially. If every year when you fill out your tax forms, you look at the total amount of money and say, where did it all go? You're lost. If you don't have lots of things to show for where all that money went, then you're lost. If you ever asked, why do I feel so much pressure financially? Then you're lost. If you've ever asked, why is it that I sometimes feel so generous, but when it comes down to it and I want to give to a cause, I just can't give to a cause. It's because you're lost financially. If you've ever asked, um, why don't I do what I know I should do financially? Why do I end up doing other things? It's because you're lost. And if you, um, if you ever ask, why didn't I pay attention to money issues when I was younger? It means that at least at some point you've been lost financially. Now, let me tell you this. If talking about how God views your money makes you nervous, it shouldn't. Because I've never met a person. I've been in ministry almost 30 years now. I've been in ministry, yeah, this, this is my 30th year in ministry. I'm an old dude. I started when I was two. Um, I've, I've, never, I've never met a person who followed God's principles financially, who got lost financially. They end up being blessed. You, you get lost financially by ignoring God's principles. Let me show you real quickly how you get lost. You use a bad roadmap. And here's the roadmap that everyone I've known who's gotten lost financially uses. Here it is. Uh, put that up there if you would, Mike. Here's what we think we should do with money in this order. Spend it, repay debt, pay taxes, save it, and give it. And if you look at this list and, you, and your first reaction is, what's long, wrong with that? My, my response to you is, there's nothing wrong with that map. If you want to get lost financially, it's a bad map. Everybody I know who's lost financially has followed that map. So if you want to find financial peace, by the way, we're going to start that in uh, February, probably on Wednesday nights. If you want to find financial peace, if you want God to be involved in your finances, then you're going to have to use a different map. And today we're going to talk about that map, God's map. And I'm excited that we're going to be able to find this because some of you are going to start to grow incredibly in your financial uh, in financial areas as you learn to do finances God's way. You're going to be free from fri- financial pressures. You're going to be uh you're going to remove financial stress from your marriages. You're going to model proper financial management for your kids. This is going to be good. Now, I need to tell you this. This is on your listening guide. Regardless of the topic, you may have figured this out by now, but I'm going to let you in on a little behind the scenes secret. Regardless of the topic, every week I have a goal, and my goal is this. This is number one on your listening guide. To help you see whatever the topic is as God sees. 
God has a roadmap for your life that will keep you from getting lost. And amazingly, most people don't realize that. So I spend time every week thinking, God, how can I communicate this in a way that people see as you see? So we talk about situations. Usually we talk about how I've messed up in an area, how I've discovered God in an area. And then we look at the Bible and we see what God has to say about that area. I desperately want you to see as God sees because then you're much more likely to, number two, do as God says. That's the goal of any worship service, any Bible study that we have. We want you to see as God sees so that you'll do as God says. So how does God see your money, your stuff? Some people think God wants it all. And and here's here's just a little, little truth. If God wanted all your stuff, he'd take it. If you don't think he's big enough to take it, then your God is too small. If the government wants more of your money, well, they do. They take it. Do you really think the U.S. government is bigger than God? If God wanted your stuff, he'd take it. He has a different view of money because there's something bigger going on here with money. So let's look at how God views it. Matthew 6, 33. But more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. Then other things will be yours as well. Some of you memorized this as a kid. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. God wants us to flip this whole roadmap. Instead of putting God last, God wants to put his, his kingdom first. Jesus said, if you do this, he makes this huge promise. He says, if you'll put God's kingdom first, then everything else will be, all these other things will be added to you. What are all these things? A place to live, something that you can drive that's reliable. Uh, he'll provide the job that will meet your needs. Not your greeds, he'll meet your needs. He says, if you will put me first, everything else will fall in line. And so God wants us to use a different map. And this is a big deal. God says, I'll be responsible for everything else if you will demonstrate to me that I'm first. And so here's the the map that God wants us to use, the biblical map. Give it, save it, pay taxes, repay debt, and spend it. That's kind of upside down, isn't it? It's just the opposite of what our world tells you. When you use this roadmap, you're saying to God, Father, I want to make sure that your kingdom is funded. And I'll live on the the leftovers. Because when you practice leftover giving and leftover saving, you're actually ripping off your future because you're not saving for the future and you're going to have emergencies in the future. That's why we have an emergency fund for emergencies. And the bigger the emergency fund you have, the less stress you feel when an emergency happens. We've started doing that as a church. You know, we've got five-ton air conditioner units out here. If one of those goes out, it's several thousand dollars. We now have this emergency fund. If that goes out, it doesn't come out of the general fund. Seems to me that just makes sense. If you don't save for the future, you practice leftover saving, you're robbing your future. You're also robbing the kingdom of God. That's just what the Bible has to say about it. And so, okay, I get it. You're saying... Say a give and save and blah, 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 blah. God will magically appear in my paycheck at the end of the month, right? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that God will meet your needs. But I'm also saying there's a deeper issue here than just money. God wants us to, to use this map, but why? Here it is in Matthew six twenty one. We talked about this last week. Your heart will always be where your treasure is. God says, follow the money trail. If you put money into some type of toy, your emotions are going to follow that. And God knows the number one competition for your heart is money. And God wants your heart. That's why Jesus talks so much about it. So with this in mind, let's look at a parable that Jesus told. And this is a strange parable. 
for years, I, I struggled to understand it, but I believe I've got a clear understanding of it now. We don't find out until the end that the whole purpose of this parable was to teach the listeners how God views your stuff. And so let's look at how God views your stuff. Starting uh, Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Jesus told his, this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. All right. Now, there's your first clue how rich he was. He's got somebody handling all of his money. Somebody, some accountant that's doing everything, watching over his money. One day, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what, what's this I've heard about you? What's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. Okay, so the rich dude brings him in and he says, Hey, you're crooked. You're out of here. I need you to settle up your accounts and bring me the money ledger because you're done. All right. Uh, the manager thought to himself, Now what? Great question. Question you and I need to be asking today. Now what? Every time you hear a Bible study or a sermon, you need to ask now what? Because if you leave it just in theory, you're not going to put it into practice. We want you to ask now what? Look what he says. My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches. And I'm too proud to beg. So dude had a dilemma. Dishonest dude says... What am I going to do now? And he's smart. He knows he's done and he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to dig ditches and he, he doesn't want to beg. So what does he do? He realizes he has two things. And by the way, these are the same two things that you and I have today. First, he realizes I've got a little bit of time and I've got a little bit of opportunity. Here's the big deal. He says, I've got a little bit of time now and a little bit of opportunity now to make a better future for myself. And this is the thing that you and I need to be asking. What could he do with his little bit of time and his little bit of opportunity to make a better future for himself? So you and I need to pay attention to this. Look at verse 4. Smart guy says, oh, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. Sounds like he's pretty smart, right? I've come up with a plan. I know how to provide for my future. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly. Why quickly? Because I don't have much time, dude. I got a little bit of time, a little bit of opportunity. Take it and quickly change it to 400 gallons. Now, can you imagine if this is you? Let's say you owe on your car. You owe $10,000 and somebody calls you and says, Hey, man, today, discount day because I'm just feeling generous. Make it 5000 How many of you would be excited? Woo! Woo! Yeah! Are you serious? This is a good day. I'll happily wipe out half of my debt and it'll cost me nothing. Awesome. So he marks it down to 400 and he begins to walk out the door. And I think he stops and he says, hey, dude, if there's any anything I can ever do for you, let me know. And this honest manager goes, oh, I will. And sooner than you think. So he calls in the next guy. Uh, and he says, and how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe my, him a thousand bushels of wheat, was his reply. Here the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. Did I hear you right? I didn't know this was buy 800 bushels of wheat and get 200 bushels free day. Nobody advertised that to me. This is a good day. Sweet. He's doing a little dance and he marks it off and he says, I just made 200 free bushels of wheat. This is awesome. And as he's walking out the door, he stops and he turns and he goes, dude, you've been so generous to me. If 
there's anything I can ever do for you, will you let me know? Yes, I will. I'll be happy to let you know if I need this. Now, at this point in the story, everyone listening to Jesus is waiting for the hammer to come down. Because they're thinking the same thing you and I are thinking. They're thinking, oh my goodness, this dude's ripped off his, his boss. The boss is really going to lay him out. He, the boss may throw him in jail. He has every right to do that. This is, come on, Jesus, this is a good story. It's, it's like, this is movie stuff. This is awesome. And the twist comes in here because look at verse 8. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. Okay, hold up. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Because, see, everybody's sitting there. They knew when Jesus told a story, somebody in the story was them. Somebody was another guy. Somebody was God. And they're going, wait, wait, wait. It, am, am, I, am, I the, am I the manager? Am I dishonest? Am I supposed to be a dishonest? Which one am I? Which one are you? God, oh, my head hurts. And here's where the twist comes in. Jesus gives us the answer to it. <laughs> And, and they're going, well, this can't be the end of the story. And Jesus goes, it's not. Here's, here's the point of the story. And don't miss the point of the story. The story is not about commending a dishonest person. Okay, then what's it about? Next part of that verse. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. Okay, Jesus says, the people who are only worried about today... The people who consume everything they own. They're only worried about themselves. They have no hope of a future in heaven. They have no hope of, of meeting God walking streets of gold. The people who have no hope for tomorrow, tomorrow are more shrewd. They are smarter in the way they go about their business than are people who call themselves children of God. Jesus is saying if we Christians were wise... We would use our little bit of time and our little bit of opportunity now to prepare for a better future. That's the point of the story. And if we get the point, then we would invest our time. We would invest our money. We would invest our talents in something that would live on beyond us. Jesus continues in verse 9. Here's the lesson. I love it when he does that. Just, just lays it out there. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources, your temporary resources, to benefit others and make friends. Okay, this is, this is the strange part. Then when your earthly possessions, your temporary possessions are gone, they, meaning other people, the friends that you've made, will welcome you into an eternal home. You want to know how God sees your money? There's three ways, and this, this passage tells us these three ways. The first way that God views your stuff is as a tool. We're to use temporary stuff so that people, when people come to God, we're to use it so that that we introduce people to God, and then when we get to heaven, those people will be there, and they'll walk up to you. I, I fully expect some people someday to walk up and say, Doug, my name's Jim Bob. I mean, come on, I'm from East Texas. There's got to be at least one Jim Bob. My name's Jim Bob, and I'm here because you use some of your temporary stuff to introduce me to God. Um, just a few weeks ago, John and Ann Colander hosted the guys for Disciple Now, and Rachel Hennessy opened up their home to uh, host the girls for Disciple Now. I fully expect... That when they walk into heaven on their entrance day, someone is going to walk up to them and say, Hey, I'm here because you opened up your home. Thank you for giving of your temporary stuff so that I could have a permanent home in heaven. Last year, 21 people from New Life went to Haiti. The total cost of that was over $30,000 to go to Haiti. 
Now, most people didn't spend all of it themselves. Some people paid for everything themselves. A lot of people spent a lot of time raising money to go to Haiti. And I fully expect when we get to heaven, I, I, I totally believe that someone's going to walk up and say, Hey, dude, I remember when you came to Mariani and you sang some silly songs. And Chad wore these, these donkey ears. And Jared rode on the back of the donkey for the triumphal entry when we did our little Bible story. And he said, I remember you coming and building this place for us to worship. And I'm here in heaven because you guys came. Thank you for using your temporary stuff to help someone, to help me have an eternal future. And by the way, yesterday was three years. Yesterday was the third year anniversary of the earthquake that destroyed Haiti. And there's still work to be done. And, and I, told the, I told the folks, as long as God allows me and as long as I have breath, I will keep coming back year after year after year. I can't wait to see Joe Odney. He's this boy, that he, he'll have teeth this year. He was toothless the last two years. Just had this little toothless grin and he'll find me. He'll come find me the first day we get there. And he'll walk up and, and before I even know it, he'll, he'll come and he'll hold my hand. He'll jump on my back and other boys try to pull him off. and go, no. And, and me, Joe Odney and I just have this little connection. And we're going to play dumb games and, and we're going to do the, the silly Bible stories and songs and all that stuff. And we're going to love those kids and somebody's going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And it may be, it very may, may well be that I outlive some of these children. And I expect to see them in heaven. And this passage, Jesus is saying, there's going to be some people welcome you into heaven because... You take your temporary stuff and you use it for an eternal perspective. Jesus teaches this throughout his earthly ministry. He says, you want to know how God sees your stuff? God sees your stuff, your temporary stuff, as a tool. And the command is very, very simple. Use your stuff, your temporary stuff, in a way that the Father can use it to grow his kingdom. In that way, your temporary stuff lasts forever. Can you imagine? Now, I know, I I deal with this all the time. I know that finances are a very touchy subject in most marriages. And most of our talks about money are not nice, fun, positive talks, right? Can you imagine if we started asking the question, how can we use more of our stuff to impact the kingdom of God? Would that be a positive conversation or a negative conversation? Positive. Some of you aren't sure. New life was started by a bunch of poor people a little over 10 years ago who wanted to make an eternal impact on the kingdom of God. We wanted to make a difference. When we started the church, we had zero. In fact, when we started the church, we didn't even know how to incorporate. We didn't know how to. So we couldn't, for the first three months, we couldn't take any money. Try to do church like that. Because we, legally, we couldn't accept cash because we weren't registered as a nonprofit organization. So we couldn't take any. We had one family buy all of the video and sound equipment. We had another family that bought the, all of the furniture for the, the children's area. In our first four years, um, a family that came twice in four years, they were actually members of another church and they just wanted to visit our church twice. They gave over $15,000 to a church that they didn't even attend. Why? Because they see stuff like God sees it. And they, they wanted to help us become a church that reaches people who are far from God. They're in very traditional churches and they both said, we love you, Doug. We love what your church is doing, but we will never come there. 
but we're going to help you because we believe that our churches aren't reaching the type of people who, who need to be reached. So we're going to help fund your church. There was another uh, family. I knew them from years ago when, when I was at Southside and they became uh, members of our church and they attended for about a year. And then because he worked in the oil field, some things changed. He went to New Mexico and then to Colorado. And for six years, from 2004 till 2010, for six years, they sent a check every month to this church. Sometimes it was a few hundred dollars. Sometimes it's over a thousand dollars they sent to this church while attending another church, while tithing to that other church. Why would someone possibly do that? Because they see stuff the way God sees it, and they wanted to help us build a church that would reach people who are far from God. I told you this um, last week. I mentioned this. We bought this building in 2007, and... Um, you know, the original purchase price of this and the house over here was $150,000. And then it took about $100,000 because this was, this was a bad situation. The house was bad. This was bad. And so we had to remodel. So it took about $100,000 to do all of that. Well, in order to get a loan, we, had, we didn't have that type of cash. There were four individuals in the church. I'm one of them. We signed a piece of paper with the bank that said, if new life folds, we'll pay the bills. Why would somebody do that? Because they're stupid. Because, you know, they'll tell you, don't do that. Don't don't sign. But every one of these men, these families said, we want to do whatever we can so that new life will be there when some people are coming looking for a place to grow, a place to connect, people who are far from God. And then in 2010, the land on the other side of the house over here, um, actually, Caleb and I were out mowing. And the lady who owned that, I'd not even talked to her about it. She came over and we were remodeling this and they were snowbirds and she came over here and, and Caleb and I were mowing and she flagged me down and she said, hey, you want to buy my land? Because we had 2.1 acres here and at the point, at that point we were already, if you remember, if y'all were back at, at that time, there were no parking places. We would actually have some people come in and, and drive out because they couldn't find a place to park and we were trying to figure out if we were going to shuttle and we talked about some doing some different things. And so there was 2.4 acres over there so it would double our size and, and we got to talking about it and I said, okay, here's the deal. We have zero money as a church to, to pay for this. We got a little bit in the bank but we don't, we, we don't have money. So we negotiated a price and, and I said, here's the thing. I'm going to, she's a Christian and she wanted us to have the land and her husband had died by this point and she said, I want, I want our land to, to be used for the kingdom of God. And so uh, we negotiated price. It was $45,000 for the house and the land. And there's a shed back there. And, and it was a good deal for her. It was a good deal for us. And so I said, here's what I'm going to ask you. This was in November. I said, we've planned to do this big building a great life. Yeah, caught you off guard. We're going to do this series in in January and February. And on the last day of February, I think it was February 28th. It was right around there. Last day, last Sunday in February, we're going to take up a one day offering and whatever we get, we're going to pay off this, this, we're going to buy this house. Well, in the meantime, when she said, okay, that's, that's no problem. Well, a, a, a member of our church came up and said, how about this? How about instead of waiting, I give the church an interest free loan? I'll give you an interest-free loan. You can start paying whenever. If you need to wait until after this deal, let's go ahead and buy the land. And then whenever you need to, you can start making payments. And I'm like, and and I talk to the board, and the board's like, seems like a no-brainer to us. So we came, we go through the the whole series, and, and man, we were doing home studies, and people, we were challenging folks. And I remember sitting at my table, we were having daily Bible studies, and and we were talking about giving a one-time offering on that last Sunday. And then we were talking about making a 36-month commitment over and above our tithe in order to um, pay off debt and, and be in a position that we could do this. So 
Uh, we have our one day offering. We raised $42,000 on that one Sunday. In the midst of all this, this church member comes to me and he goes, God spoke to me. You can have the money. So on that one Sunday, if you add that money in, Little New Life Community Church raised $87,000 for the kingdom of God. And then 30 crazy individuals and families said, we will pay 36 months. And it's funny because some of them, some of them are counting them down. Each check that they give that's above and beyond, you know, is 25, 27. I think, I think Janie and I have three left to go. And, and I remember doing this Bible study with my family. And one of the things it said was, you need to ask what, what is easy for you to give. And you need to ask what is hard for you to give. And, and at the time, um, Janie and I were praying. And, and every time, it was kind of dangerous. Because every time we came back together, the, the cost that we were going to give in the one-day offering was going higher. And our, our monthly pledge was going higher. Anyway, Rachel said to me, she goes, Daddy, what would be easy for us to give? And at that time, I said, you know, honestly, we could come up with $500 and, and, and it really wouldn't hurt us. And we started praying and eventually we came on $2,500 that we needed to give as a one-time offering. And then she said, well, what about our monthly? Because the kids are asking questions. What about our monthly? And I said, we could, we could do $100. We ended up, and, and I'm, not, I'm not at all, please understand my heart. I'm not trying to brag today. I'm just telling you that if you catch kingdom principles, your heavenly father will take care of you. Because we finally got to the point, I said, well, you know, honestly, I would like to give over a three-year period, I'd like to give $15,000 over and above our tithe. So I think we have three more to go. We've made 33 payments of $417 over and above our tithe. And we've got three more to go because we wanted this church to be here when you got here. More than anything. We're not worried so much about the future. And, and Caleb just started college. And, and we don't qualify for any financial aid. And, and we're going we're gonna to pay for that. And we believe God the Father is going to provide. And God has done some incredible things in our lives over those three months. And you can talk to the other people who've done that. God will take care of generous people. Um, they did it so that you would be here. They understand this principle. And, and every year, um, every year there's people that, that we have youth camps and children's camp and, and all these different things. Every year there's families that can't afford it. I mean, we're one of those families that, you know, when we were going to, to Orange Beach, it was $350 per child. We'll do that math. And so we just told our kids, uh, you better be praying because we, we don't have that. And every year, not just for our kids, our kids raise the money, but every year we have some kids that can't go. And there are people in our church that come up and they'll say, hey, I want to give so that a kid can go to camp or preaching camp or whatever. The kids go, and then when I report to them, here's what happened at camp. Kids came to Christ. Kids who were far from God have re, uh, re-upped their commitment to God. People, um, some people are saying, I think God's calling me into ministry. And everybody who gives that doesn't even know a child who's gone, they get this smile on their face. And, and usually they'll go, oh, that's awesome. And something called joy begins to bubble up in their hearts because they use their temporary stuff to have an eternal impact. And, and I just got to tell you that, that if you're a Christ follower, somewhere in your past, somebody took their temporary stuff and they leveraged it so that you are now a member of God's family. 
And God expects us to do the same. And if if you don't experience joy, the reason some of you hadn't experienced joy is because let me give you this principle. There is no joy in consumption. Last week we said, you know, the amount of money doesn't matter. You'll devour whatever it is if you don't do things God's way. Devouring everything you have does not bring joy. Collecting. I mean, some people got some awesome collections of coins and cards and stuff. There's no lasting joy in collection. There is a joy that comes from being generous. And God has promised that I will take care of generous people. God's not saying give everything. God's saying don't waste your stuff. Use it better so that others can become a part of his story. Continuing in verse 10. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? Okay, now if you're a thinking person, you're going, wait a daggum minute. If I'm not faithful in little things, I can't be. If I can't be trusted, sounds like somebody's watching me. It sounds like somebody's watching how I use my stuff. Is that what Jesus is saying? Yep. Second way God sees your stuff as a test. God says, you all have a little bit. And and most of us would go, yes, I have a little bit, but he has a lot. (laughs) Right? Every one of us would, anybody who makes your salary or less, you would say, we're poor. Anybody who makes more than you, but them, they got a lot. And God says, compared to whom? Because last week we read a verse, God owns it all. And by the way, do you really own your stuff? Do you get to take it with you when you die? How many hearses, you, I mean, uh, U-Hauls you see behind hearses? I've done a lot of funerals. I mean, even if you throw that stuff in the ground, they don't get to take it with them. It's temporary stuff. You don't get to take it with you. You leave it for somebody else. God's watching to see how you use your little bit. And that isn't even yours to begin with. And how you use your little bit will determine whether or not you get rewards in heaven in the world to come. And when you get those rewards, they're true riches. They're stuff that you get to keep forever. And we're not talking about a little bit. We're talking about a lot a bit. God will give you true riches. Jesus said, I'm finding out who I can trust and who I can't. Wait a minute, but I don't lie. I don't cheat. Don't steal. Don't drink. Don't chew. And don't go out with girls to do. Woo! You're awesome. Jesus said, I know your heart is where your stuff is. And I'm not after your stuff, I'm after your heart. And he wants to know if you're using your stuff for the temporary or the eternal. Let me say this. This principle has absolutely nothing to do with salvation, your salvation. It does have to do with other people's salvation so that people can welcome you into heaven someday. And it does have to do with whether or not you receive rewards. When you get to that life. But it doesn't have anything to do with your salvation. The moral of the story is your stuff is a tool. Your stuff is a test. And God is looking for faithful men and women. Not faithful with what you don't have. Because I I meet people all the time. If I only hit the lottery. And and I'm going to tell you. If I hit the lottery. It will be an act of God. Because I don't play the lottery. One time I said that. And we uh, we went on a motorcycle ride. And we stopped for gas. And next thing I know. James has found a lottery ticket on the ground. And taped it to my motorcycle seat. You know. 
trying to help me uh, win the lottery, and, and I didn't. I looked. Of course I looked. There's one other thing. God sees how he looks at your stuff. He sees it as a trademark. Look what Jesus says, continuing in verse 13. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, the religious people, the people who should have known better, the people who were in charge of Bible studies, in charge of the church, in charge of the temple, in charge of everything spiritual in the kingdom, the Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all this and scoffed at him. You know why they scoffed? Because they loved their stuff more than they loved God. Jesus tells us the way you use your stuff tells everyone around you whose you are. The way you use your stuff is branded on your heart and everyone can see whether you're a generous person or whether you're a consumer. But, but I love God, I just like money. And God says, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's do a little test here. When you make a financial decision, do you consult me? And by the way, I heard somebody one time, they said, we pray about every decision. And she said that, you know, they were, they would be in the store and they're, they're looking at this awesome mattress and they're, and they stop and they hold hands in the aisle. Oh God, should I buy this mattress or not? Let me tell you something. They bought it every time. Every time they stopped and prayed, God said, Yes. And I'm going, wait a minute, my bunk detector goes off and I'm going, every time? I, I'm not so sure that, that that's the way God does that. God says, do you ask, what is the wise thing for me to do? Is it wise for me to go into debt? Is it wise for me to spend money I don't have? And if you say, well, God, if it's something I really want, I'm sorry, you come in second, you're serving your stuff. And you just branded your heart for everyone to see how your, what your attitude is towards temporary stuff. Now, let me say this. We're done after this. If this scares you, it's because you've never experienced God in your finances. Just be blunt with you. It's like this. You should talk to boys about girls before they notice girls. You, talk to, you need to be proactive. You, know, you need to go talk to them and, and, and talk to them about girls when they go, Girls, they got cooties. Girls are gross. You know, we used to do all that stuff. And, and I've been on both sides of this thing. I remember when girls had cooties. I remember when girls were good. And, and girls are good. I'm, I'm telling you, boys, your video games, sports are awesome. Girls are better. Can, can I just be real for a minute? Better. You're, if, if girls scare you, you, you don't know the right one. Right? I found the right one 21 years ago, and she's awesome. wouldn't trade her for anything. I'd give it all up to be with her. If talking about how God sees your stuff scares you, it's because you're on the wrong side. I've been on the side where girls had cooties. I've been on the side where Janie's my wife, and I'll take her every time. I've been on the side where I trusted my stuff. And I've been on the side where I gave insane amounts of money that, that any financial advisor would tell you not to do unless they know God, unless they see money the way God sees it. And I can tell you, it's better on this side. And if you're afraid when we start talking about money, it's because you do not know God as Jehovah, is it Jireh, my provider. You got to experience him before you can tell anyone else about it. 
people consume themselves into financial ruin, people never follow God's map into financial ruin. You get peace. You get joy from doing things God's way. We're always scared to go where we haven't been. And God has said, I will always take care of generous people. So you got a little bit of time. I don't think I even have cash. I don't even carry cash anymore. You got a little bit of time. I use my phone as as my... Got a little bit of time. A little bit of money. A little bit of opportunity. How are you going to use it? Let's pray together. God, we live in a nation of consumers. And a lot of people just have never been told the truth. It's my prayer today, God, that, that people will lay their hearts bare before you. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what you think. And if we can get a group of people serious about leveraging what they have, not for this life, but for the kingdom, what an incredible reunion we will have someday in heaven when people say, I'm here because you got it. God, you're going to have to speak to us at a heart level for us to make any changes. And that's just my prayer that these people understand and experience you as Jehovah Jireh, their provider. Experience you in their finances. They wouldn't hesitate to ask for you to be in their marriage, in their parenting, in their business. God, it's my prayer that they'll ask you to be in their their finances. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.